0: Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you want to confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self-Worst Alright, what's going on? What are we doing? What, what, what are we making a podcast here? Seems like it well, I'm sitting at a desk, got a microphone pointed at my face Uh, yeah, making a podcast, okay, cool you're listening to another episode of Self-Worst Podcast. That's what's happening. So now we have some context. Now we uh, know what's going on. Uh, let's, you know, get into it. How you doing? We're, have, we're already, God, almost halfway through September. Can you believe it? Gosh, time and seasons, all of that. Just finally did some yard work. That's satisfying. has got all kinds of leafs and shit. It's been real soggy out in the backyard. I'm finally able to go blast the leaves with the leaf blower. Oh, satisfying. I'm getting over a case of shingles. Man, that was weird and fucked up and gross. I looked like a David Cronenberg movie. I, at the beginning was like, oh, this isn't so bad. This just feels like kind of a, you know, like getting a sunburn or like a, a tattoo or something. I was like, oh, this kind of stings, itches, just feels sort of gross. Then, it's really not so much the intensity of the pain, it's just the the relentlessness. It's just every few seconds, I was just getting this stabbing pain across my shoulder. That's where it all was. It was all like chest, shoulder, little bit of neck. It was all just like in one little splash zone up here on my right shoulder. And it was just this crawling mass of just boils and blisters and red, fucked up skin. It was it was gnarly, man. Couldn't sleep for a couple of nights because there were just random stabs of pain. Um, not the worst pain, but just won't go away. And even now, as it's healing up. Here's the thing they don't tell you well they do tell you this about shingles, the pain sticks around sometimes. So it just its skin looks fine, nothing physically wrong. But the nerves are still all fucked up. They're they're just all they're all fucked up and shit. That's what the doctor said. And uh there's they're still it still feels kinda weird. So that's what I've been dealing with. Um other than that, just trying to enjoy September the end of summer, i guess. It's still pretty hot out. And uh you know, sink into the the September ache, the melancholy. The again, i don't know if you're supposed to use the term indian summer anymore. It feels probably pretty dated, but you know what i'm talking about when it's still it's late summer and you just want to like go to a lake. Watch the leaves turn, drink a line and Kugel, get in a canoe, whatever. Listen to some divorce rock, you know, some that always listen to some Neil Young. Man, fucking listen to some some guess who listen to some like, I don't know. Got to be some got to be some Fleetwood Mac on there. That's a that's a divorce rock band right there. That's like the divorce rock band. So, like, you know, just sad 70s cocaine divorce regrets anyway that's where we are at right now it's a good time of year so we got jack Fitzmorris on the show this week uh met him a while ago a couple months ago he came into town he lives out in la he's uh a, a friend of a friend or a, you know a yeah, husband of a friend of a friend, of, yeah, whatever. A couple degrees away from me, and, and and I met him. Doesn't matter. Anyway, I thought he was an interesting guy, and we had a good talk. Uh, I thought he'd be good for the show, and so I had him on the show. That's how this usually works. About that much thought goes into it. Um, yeah, so we're uh, we're we're gonna have a we're gonna have a long talk about we got into like employment that's been weighing on everybody's minds lately uh, he's been on strike writers guild stuff uh, he's an artist and a writer and storyboard artist and all of that stuff so uh, he's been working in that um, and yeah you know employment tenuous right now don't I know it I'm out there pounding the pavement trying to get a, a real job um, and, uh, I keep, now I'm, I'm finding out that it's like the worst hiring market in like 20 years. And even in the tech sector, which is normally, you know, pretty good. <laughs> and I managed to, uh, well, I keep fucking doing this, man. Graduated film school in 2008. Graduate a uh, tech boot camp, like at the end of tech. Fuck. That timing is not good. I am trying to, like, be a productive member of society, and it seems like there's just forces that don't want me to do that. Y'all remember that that, that this week, that, that fucking Australian guy, the avocado toast guy, was talking about how uh, there needs to be pain in the economy and we need, like, 50 60% unemployment, and that would be good for the ruling class, the owning class, which he's a member of. Fucking, see, this is what I'm talking about. This is, when people talk about how uh, capitalism is a good system and makes people prosperous, then you listen to capitalists talk about what they actually want to do with the economy and and, and what they think of the most of us. And what we deserve, and it really doesn't seem like it's in the best interest of the most people. I don't know, whatever. <sighs> I didn't mean to get into a political rant; I've just had a weird week. my skin's recovering. It's you know, you don't know what to do with yourself sometimes guess I'll go do some more yard work I'm gonna go do that you guys listen to this episode uh that I already recorded I'm gonna put that on for you I'm gonna sit you down in front of this little podcast uh and you know you then I can I can go do my thing you know it's just plopping you down in front of the little the tv and I, I gotta go do stuff so you be good you listen to this podcast with Jack Fitzmorris, and uh, I'll see you on the other end
1: I grew up in D.C., mm-hmm. went to a fairly decent, I mean, I feel like every big city or medium-sized city from when we were growing up to now has been like, oh, our public school system's terrible, et cetera. But I went to a pretty good one, mm-hmm. uh, Northwest D.C., and uh, then went to private school after that, which was very... Uh, Back then, it was more of a kind of artsy, hippie school. It was still a DC, like, power private school, but more masquerading or at least presenting as hippie, artsy school. hmm If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so they really influenced the arts. My mom was very encouraging, and my dad. And, they, uh, and I, I had a talent for drawing, like, from a very early age. So just was always kind of encouraged, and then part of me thinks that maybe I should have just kept going with it straight on as tried as a career uh, but part of me is kind of happy I went and dabbled and explored different things you and I'm sure many people can kind of identify with you have a talent or an interest and maybe you're at least pretty good at it Yeah. but then you maybe you're okay at some other thing or maybe you get some attention at another thing or maybe you don't want to be labeled or maybe you get burnt out yeah. Or maybe you're good at something and you're just like, okay, but I'm not sure if this is like the pure focus. Uh, so, yeah, my high school was very encouraging. And also, kind of, a, for me, I was kind of a mess of like, do I want to be, um, you know, I was terrible at sports until I hit a certain age and I just stopped being self conscious. Yeah. And then I was just big and athletic enough to kind of be like, oh, do I want to pursue this? Do I want to pursue art? Oh, I like writing too without ever being like amazing at any of them. Yeah. So, yeah, just, just, uh, that's really how I got into it to start out with. Um, and I've just been drawing, and painting my whole life, uh, sometimes and always improving, sometimes. Relapsing in terms of artistic quality, and then kind of gaining it back. Yeah, when you uh, shake the rust off, and it's been an ever-evolving process. I didn't really take art seriously as a potential career till I had been in LA for maybe maybe six or seven years.
0: Oh wow! So you'd already uh-huh. moved out to LA. Mm-hmm. What were you doing out there before so, uh, you you decided to
1: start? trying to draw for a living i was i came out to be an actor okay and also had like some of the other um kind of like with art i had had a bit of luck and early success with it and there was something about it that uh, i can be outgoing i can be personable but I also like many of us i'm very Mm self-conscious very uh unsure of myself and acting for all the the glitz we've put on movie stars and the attention you get, there was something about ex- expressing yourself or trying to present as another character that was freeing. Sure. In a way, if that makes sense. And using your own voice and body as a tool. And then not gonna lie, getting attention for that is also a <laughs> it's a rush. Yeah. So Doing that was kind of a, it's just something you knew, something I knew I had to do. Uh, I I got very lucky. I auditioned out of, and I just just graduated school in D.C., or in Colorado, but I was in D.C. right after graduation. I auditioned for a film with me and two other guys uh, to play high school kids. It was like out of several hundred for this movie called Toe to Toe. And I only had two scenes, but it was a really great experience. We all had good chemistry. I was lucky enough to get cast as a high school bully. And uh, that made me eligible for SAG, so right. Screen Actors Guild, which at the time, I had no idea how hard that could be to get into. Because mm-hmm. uh, for me, uh, I just... I, you know, I loved acting, but I, I, I lucked into it in a way. Oh yeah, there are that- teeming
0: masses of of background artists, uh, you know, extras. Um, the polite term is background artist, who uh, are vying for a a line to get them into SAG and they can go Ooh. decades they can go their whole fucking career just being a background artist and never getting yeah, anywhere no, you've know, you been around it and you yeah. know you're just you're just in a fucking pen with a bunch of other poor desperate souls for 13 hours a day they may or may not even use you you know and, and for like what 100 dollars a day maybe buck 50 you know like it's yep. it's insane yep. it's insane it's a crazy it's a crazy world.
1: It is wild. You know exactly. That's a bloodbath, man. But uh yeah, that was so I so I became SAG eligible, moved out to LA, and being SAG eligible really helped me. I didn't know how hard it would be at the time, and this is twenty ten, so it's prime recession time, right? Mm. But being SAG eligible let me at least get looked at by agents right or managers or uh you know we talk about being an extra well at least you know it wasn't like i came in and just started slaying in la it was at least you could go and sometimes be an extra on a sag thing or be eligible uh a friend's project that might be sag then i could finally act in it and uh, that it's not that it was easy but that was a real just that one getting cast. And that really helped me kind of stay in it compared to a lot of, I mean, I knew some really talented people as you were just talking about really wanted it and they just couldn't, Oh, you're not in SAG yet. Well, get in SAG and we'll sign you. Okay. But how do you do that? Yeah. If you don't get, and then if you get in SAG by just being, say you're an extra in a SAG uh, production, and I think it's three vouchers you get and then you're eligible, uh, that, that is traditionally how many people have then been, you know, you get an agent from that, then you can go audition for a SAG thing. But by the time we were out there, people I knew who got their vouchers, they were like, oh, but you've just been an extra. You don't have any lines. What do you have for your reel? Yeah. So now you have to join SAG if you want to act in a SAG thing, but you may not even get the chance to audition because you don't have a reel. It was just, I'm going on not just by my experience, but dozens and hundreds of people I know. Yeah, it's been such a shit show and it's still obviously it still is. But it wasn't it wasn't like it was great uh, 10, 13, 14 years ago either.
0: <laughs> no, it was um, always um, I, I got pretty depressed and dis- disillusioned with uh, the film industry in general um, pretty early on. And, you know, I think back on that and I think like, well, maybe I just didn't work hard enough. Maybe I just didn't want it enough, you know, and like I do internalize it like that sometimes still. Um but like i started as a pa i was working on a bunch of uh, mostly bad tv um which is like whatever i didn't really care about like what we were making so much i was just like yeah oh, this is cool to like be out here and working on shit um but like when i tell you like that i have never ever been talked to the way I was talked to on the job as a PA like ever. I have never been fucking disrespected like that in my life. And like it wasn't like insane. Like I saw some people getting like fucking reamed out like crazy, like veins popping out of the neck, screaming at people, throwing off their headset and stuff. But like that never happened to me. But like I always felt like it could. And, um, it was just kind of constantly just being afraid to make eye contact or get on the walkie and ask somebody a question because you knew you were gonna get like talked down to. You knew you were gonna get sassed. You knew you were gonna get some kind of shit. And like the reality of being a PA, like like my experience of it was so much like it was very much it was very much a millennial experience because I was. Working these long days, you know, 10 hours, 14 hours, whatever, like however long you're there, you're one of the first people on set, you're one of the last people to leave, Um, and you know, you you can't sit. You can't even like grab an apple box and sit because they, you know, they they will think like, oh, he's fucking like worthless PAS. You know, you're a sandbag who eats. Like, you know, make yourself useful. Blah blah blah. Like, they can fire you for yeah, or get the fuck out. Yeah, they'll they'll fire you Everyone for, wants for a sitting. Job, yeah, right. and like and like they'll just replace you. They just won't call you back, and they'll just call another, uh, you know, desperate sucker in. You know, and like, I remember just thinking like. I'm here and I'm doing the thing. i'm I'm got a job that I went to school for. Um, and it's right after the recession. I graduated in 2008 um, with a film degree and it was just like really uh, a depressing time, you know, and like had to move back in with my parents briefly and then like finally got out to New York and was doing stuff. And was finally like starting to like make it count but like i would dread going into work and then like i just like felt this sense of like i don't know like i would be i'd be like on the train going to work um reading articles about how like how entitled um, and lazy every millennial is and how we just expect a participation trophy and all the fucking tired shit that they were all like that. Every other article on the internet was talking about in, in 2010, um, yeah. that we were too soft, that we were too, you know, that we were too, uh, we just wanted, uh, instant gratification that we were spending all of our money just like really, uh, recklessly that we weren't frugal that like all of this stuff. And like it, it, really some of it, like I knew it was bullshit, but like a lot of it kind of got in my head and just like made me feel like I don't want to be the example of this like hated millennial hipster character that they're talking about. Like, I don't want to like end up on one of those, like, like look at this fucking hipster websites or some shit like that. Like I, I would be like so embarrassed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and, and like now looking back on it, like, with a little bit more of a, uh, class conscious understanding and a little bit more perspective and a little bit more just, uh, like, you know, materialism in my head. Like I can, I can realize like, okay, like, so I was an exploited worker. Like this is, you know, and, and like, sure. I wasn't like working in a, you know, a, a dusty factory with the doors padlocked shut and like with gears that were going to like tear my arm off or something but like it was still exploitative labor and it was still a bad deal that we got and a big mechanation of that was Every form of media is telling us to shut the fuck up and buck up and, and just work, you know And so yeah. like now it's also clear but like back then it was really confusing and I didn't know who to believe or who to like Like what to really think of it and think of myself and like, you know, like now, you know, 15 years later Like look I asked you, is unionizing the PAS and like I think that's fucking great Like that's a mm-hmm. huge win Um, and that probably would have made a huge difference for me. Like if even like outside of like materially, like you're guaranteed overtime and you're guaranteed a, a decent turnaround, you know, you're not like leaving set at four in the morning, expected to be there again at, at seven, you know, like even like that aside, just knowing that like, I was a part of a union or something like back then would have really like made me feel a lot better about the job because the whole thing you're working in production is you're vying to get into a fucking union then you can actually like kind of have a hope for you know living a real life
1: sure yeah that's uh again how are you how are we how are how is anyone to know yeah yeah at the time, it's again the hindsight. It's 2020, but uh, it is funny with the whole frustration and the abuse one can take on anything on a job. Money or knowledge that money is coming eventually can help. Yes, and sometimes when you're at in a situation when you're like, "Man, I'm still getting abused," and everyone else in my level is getting abused. And I'm not seeing an, a, a real monetary improvement <laughs> Yeah, that can be, it's like, yeah, I, I can handle quite a bit if if there's at least a, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit. And uh, after enough years, I mean, I was talking about, oh, I'm in SAG, I got lucky with acting, but that didn't, uh, I also worked as a PA many times and some of them were cool. Others, as you said, he got treated like absolute shit. Yeah one of the only reasons I kind of thought it was okay was because I had worked in restaurants. I had worked retail. Yeah. Yeah, I know like
0: two other (laughs) incredibly abusive, uh,
1: industries. Yeah. So you think, okay, well I get treated like shit here and everyone gets treated like shit, but at least if I'm going to get treated like shit, this isn't an industry I'm interested in. So therefore it must be okay. Eventually. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was 17, uh, was that my first job? 16, 17 at a deli, uh, the, well, there there's three owners of this deli, the uh, husband and wife and the sister of the wife. And the sister was all right, the husband was all right. They could be brutal sometimes, but the wife was just, I mean, I later learned she had, a, I think a, a real meltdown. But I mean, I, I walk in, she takes a whole frozen turkey a whole turkey frozen yeah. and throws it full force at her husband's head as I'm walking in. And he just like ducks. It misses him. Right. Hits against the wall. And I'm just like, Jesus, she never did that to me. But it was just like, okay, her, occasionally him, other employees are threatening to actually kill you. Yeah. They'll be like, if you don't do this, you know, I'm going to kill you. And they don't necessarily mean it, but it's still intense to hear. Yeah. So as a teenager, when you hear that, and then you go work as a PA or work as whatever, you're like, I guess, eventually I'll get out of this, but it's I'm, I'm not going to be a pussy.
0: Yeah, well, and another part of it is like, well, I guess this is just having a job. I guess this is just how people talk to you when you have a job, like everybody's miserable, and the shit rolls downhill. And, you know, you're your key, like the key PA is screaming at you because the AD is screaming at them because one of the producers is screaming at them. And it just is just this like, you know, just stair step of, of, of shit. It's like a pecking order. And I was just like, oh, that's normal. Like that's, that's how it is. Like, this is just how shit works. And like only lately have I really, um, You know, like as I've said, uh, like I've started doing some like some coding stuff. Um, pretty, it's all still pretty small fry, pretty in its like embryonic stages right now. Um, just like a couple of part time contract things. But the constant anxiety that like the next question I'm going to ask is going to get me fired, like on every single job I have, where I'm just like, can I, uh, just, ask my boss about this thing on slack or like ask you know ask ask my supervisor like just like hey can you remind me like how this worked again and you know like something like that i just like constantly think just like and that's going to be it they're just going to be like okay you like so you don't know how to actually do this and i'm like actually i don't but you know i've i've been pretending so far um sure. but yeah it, it's it, i don't know if that'll ever go away i don't know man
1: yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's an interesting dynamic and, and I've had plenty of gigs of all kinds, which everyone's been totally cool, but I've had enough of everything, temp jobs, retail, restaurants, PA, uh, even acting. I never experienced it with acting, but there was the whole thing of like, okay, if I'm the low, I'm just happy to get five lines Mm-hmm. Um, I really am legit happy to be here, so I'll take it if, you know, you treat me a bit like shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the top actor may not take that, the person who was who lucky enough to look at me, but, um, the other, the other strange thing sometimes in my experience is sometimes for all the, the monsters that are really powerful and high up on the totem pole, sometimes in a real professional setting, uh, in Hollywood, sometimes the people you are most intimidated by actually are just cool.
0: Yeah, that also happens. Yeah, I, I don't mean to make it sound like it was just like this horrible, depressing, you know, thing every day. Like sometimes it was fun. A lot of people were really cool, um, but it, there was just enough of it. There was just enough uh, kind of just fucked up, mean people that were going unchecked all the time that just really made it. You know just really rattled me i guess um and you know again like i still internalize like maybe i was just too sensitive i don't know but you know like when you're in like you look back on this in your 30s you know and you look back on just you had no idea what the fuck you were doing and you're in your mid-20s like it it's it's hard to know you know uh well it's hard to have perspective on that
1: part of it too i think is i hope maybe i'm just telling myself this But if you attempt to be compassionate or empathetic, or at least if you want to, if I want to think of myself and hope that I'm a good person, which Mm -hmm. is hopefully not just ego, hopefully I'm trying to be a good person, then you're also looking at, okay, well, as much as I might be suffering or feeling uncomfortable or going through this, there's always the classic, but someone's got it worse. Yeah. Who am I to complain, but also... Maybe, maybe this could be better for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> like, am I crazy? And I, that's a constant back and forth. And I do, certainly don't have the answer. But I think as you and I are, are talking about, there's at least a realization that, yes, someone always has it worse, but sometimes that can be weaponized to keep many of us in our place relatively. Yeah. <laughs> to knock them together. And, uh, yeah i don't know it's it's that um I, I think i think it's okay to identify when you've been hurt and abused and not always have to compare or or not always it's not always a contest on who's more abused as long as you're not being ignorant of yeah. the situation i hope yeah it's what i at least attempt to do um, one person so we were talking about terminology practices ethos I have yet to find a religion, an ethos, anything. So uh, I've been reading, I think it's kind of the new, not the new, it's old as hell, but it's a new hot thing in the Western world of going back and learning about Stoicism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marcus Aurelius and all of that. And there's a lot of great lessons in all of that. And in controlling how you feel, how you react to a situation. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. I have yet to see... Even that can still be manipulated. Uh, did you hear about um, oh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, that cult Nexium. Yeah, yeah. And I watched both docs on that. And one of the most refreshing things for all the horror involving that guy Keith Raniere and all the people surrounding him was that they finally narrowed it down. And he actually seemed like he's the first person I saw who knew he was bad. Yeah. I've never, seen, he finally said, he was like, again, I'm not definite here, and I'm not excusing the guy, but every, hor- most horrible monsters I see, like, or, or people who are labeled as such, think they're doing good, mm-hmm. and with him, it seemed like he finally admitted, he was like, nah, I'm like the devil, and I'm getting what I want, and I'm like, he still was excusing himself, saying like, oh, I'm a t- I'm a test, I'm, I'm here to... To really like make people strong and tempt them and work on themselves but the whole thing was also an excuse for him to assault and rape and manipulate his followers and the more the more they studied this this ethos this kind of similarly stoic ethos it was like you control how you feel uh therefore i can do these things to you and if you feel victimized then that's on you and i'm like ah that's That even Stoicism, that's an example. I don't know if he was studying that directly, but that was like a good principle that even that can get completely turned around.
0: Yeah, that's the uh, I'm sorry you feel that way kind of uh, (laughs) like victim blaming of like, uh, no, it's your fault that they feel bad. Like, you know, and and you can, you know, spin it like, you know, nobody makes you mad. You make yourself mad. And like this was this was something that was told to me when like I was like, A really little kid, and, like, it it always, like, confused me a lot. Like, I I understand the perspective of that. Like, you can, yeah, stoicism. You can choose to not let it upset you. But, like, that is very hard to do, especially if you're, like, an emotional kid. Um, Let's talk more about you. Um, So, So How, um, you know, how have you managed to kind of chill out and not let things get to you like they did when you were in your 20s?
1: Man, part of it, I think, was just getting burned out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just being like, ah, feeling this way again, kind of felt this before. All right, let's just keep going. And then you're just going to get used to things. Uh. So as much as I like to say, oh, I worked on myself, part of it is just getting older, just just getting I don't know, like building up scar tissue or something. Uh, And believe me, I am far from far from I think I'm more chill overall, but I'm far from as chill as I want to be. For me, so we were talking about, oh, coming out as an actor doing all that as you and many of us can identify with when we set out to do whatever it is we wanted to do, especially if it involves something creative or in the arts or just not not um, not maybe a, a relatively stable seeming nine to five. Mm-hmm. It's not that we felt entitled to incredible success. I didn't feel when I I knew I wanted to be an actor, at least try it. And I, I acted in some plays in a few small films and it's coming out to LA. It's not that I felt entitled to come out and be some fucking movie star or do all the, the glitz and glamor of all of that as appealing as that was. Anyone who tells you that's not at least a little appealing to be appreciated yeah, for your heart is lying to you. Uh, but that being said, I did, I did not expect, and many of my peers did not expect. Uh, yeah. Post uh, recession was 2008. Right. Mm hmm. So, yeah, 2000, none of us expected 2010s to be competitive for just getting a waiter job. Yeah. None of us, none of us, I didn't, okay, it's a recession. Um, I lived with my parents and I had worked and saved up, so I had a place to live. But getting a job was just the basic job that you should have taken for granted it was so hard. And then when I finally got one, even the cost of rent then was going up. Mm-hmm. So what I didn't expect was, oh, suddenly auditions are getting harder to come by. There's so many of us out here and getting just the day to day job is really hard to do. And then once you get it, it pays like. It you, you can barely afford rent and food. Um, I finally and then when you finally get to act in something, it can be great. But uh, yeah, it's still you either get zero or maybe five hundred dollars yeah. for the day. Which is, and then you're like, oh, I fucking made it! I fucking made it! When's the next one? Next one happens six months later or something." Right. Uh, I finally five hundred dollars
0: a day would be good if you were actually working every day, but yeah,
1: that's not how it works, you know. Right. And uh, I finally, I I got a job. I got a reef. So there's a lot of, you know, that was the other thing with Hollywood. As much as there was abuse on set, being a PA, uh, doing gig work, or even being an actor, the abuse, like I worked at Toys R Us and the abuse there, which I realized was trickling down from all the top up. I mean, these people were trying to bankrupt the company to cash right. out with their money. It was all coming uh, down from that giraffe.
0: Yep. That fucking giraffe up at the top just
1: shitting downhill. <laughs> But uh, making, you know, making minimum wage with absolutely some of the... Like, I bet some pretty bad people in Hollywood, but, like, one of the head manager of the Toys R Us I was at was if I had written him as a character in a script as just a straight psychopath, it would just have been too much. Yeah. It would have been like, nah, this guy is too... Like, you gotta have some more. We're talking about humans or humans. He still sticks in my mind as one of the... Least appealing, most like not like smart sociopath, like like interesting, just like just straight up bulldog monster of a person. And he worked at a toy store. Yeah, he was the top <laughs> at that place at Toys R Us. Um, everyone, he looked like an adult version of. So everyone there called him Bobby Hill behind his back. He looked like an adult version of Bobby Hill from Thing of the Hill. <laughs>
0: Bobby Hill would never. Bobby Hill is a golden hearted boy. He's a
1: he's a sweet, sweet soul. Physically. Yeah. Only physically. Right. Uh, And plus, I think the dude, I thought he was like 45. I think he was probably early 30s or something. But um, he was so hilariously awful that I pretty much have never met even terrible Hollywood execs. Like I've never met someone. And then you're desperate too. is like still hide a recession. You're like, I got to stay at this fucking job because there's nothing else. Yeah. Uh, so that was hilarious. But again, we talk about white male privilege. Um, There was a couple of us there and we were some of the only ones who were like, yeah, bro, I'm taking my lunch break. It's like the law. And he'd be yeah. like, "What?" you know, the other the other people there would just be like, all right, he yelled at me to not take my lunch. So I won't do it. Yeah. And we would just be like, I mean, there's a minimum, a minimum of like, it's, it's literally on the law there. So he would just schedule us. Eventually, he learned to schedule me when he wasn't working. And I learned if I was going to request days, it was rarely, it was, it was rarely full time that we would get. But whatever days I would request, he would give me the opposite. So mm-hmm. I learned to ask for days I didn't want to work to ask for those days. And I would always get them off. Uh, It's great. Yeah, really crafty of me, right? But we all kind of learned that uh, and tried to survive. But um, yeah, that was an interesting experience. God, Christmas. Woo! Uh, That was fun, man. I got punched right in the face. You got punched in the face?
0: (laughs) By like a customer?
1: Yeah. Uh, That was a whole mess of a thing. It was... um...
0: Was it... It it, it was uh, Christmas, not Black Friday. It wasn't like a, a raiding the store kind
1: of... I actually don't remember if I ever worked Black Friday. I might have. I don't remember. But I do remember the Christmas thing. And there was, um, again, this is still height of a Heidelberg recession. Uh, one of the you know, people were stealing all the time. One of the customers, I think, probably was stealing, uh, got called out by another customer. They got in a scuffle. Uh, the one who was stealing punched that one out. And then the security guard came up. They got in a scuffle. He... Punched the security guard. He was mostly beating the shit out of him, and then the manager comes out of nowhere. She comes out and he takes her and throws her like across the the floor. She hits oh. her neck. Uh, she's, I think, fine. And then I came and I heard a noise. I saw her. I thought she was having a seizure. Yeah. There's just a whole crowd of people not interrupting. And I came over and I'm like, oh my god, is she? And I look over and the guy thinks I'm coming at him. I'm like, oh shit! And he punches me right in the face. <laughs> um, like John Wick and t- just I just take you know, out the entire staff of a KB Toys? It was one of... It was... It was it was a real... It was a dark, dark moment. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was a pretty big dude. He was definitely yeah. bigger than all the people. He was definitely bigger than, like, the poor, like, not security, but, like, items protection guy Yeah, they had hired. Uh, and thankfully, I have a pretty thick skull. So... I was able to once after he hit me, I was able to I'm not going to say stop, but sort of subdue him. Right. And uh, then his girlfriend came at me. She came out of nowhere. That was a whole mess. Was it uh, Arnold
0: Schwarzenegger trying to get the uh, the Turbo Man doll? <laughs>
1: um, I happened to come in and just have a thick skull. You know? <laughs> so and then we went to court, We went to trial afterward and all of that. Uh, the one thing I did have, there's just like a little trail of blood, which I didn't know because he like cut the cheek right here. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I didn't know. it was just like going down my face. But man, obviously getting punched in the face isn't fun. Um, having to like wrestle a guy and then like fend his girlfriend off from you while you're doing it and you realize like there's people around the floor and no one's helping. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not committed to this. It's just an act. I just came in there. Right. Yeah but all of that and then going to court uh and it's the dude wasn't like you know he saw me, he wasn't even mad at me at all uh but him and the items guy almost got in a fight in court again My um God. but the whole situation it was just so like it was just like we're we're here it's the height of a recession we're making minimum wage um there's people sprawled out trying to get toys for their kids. There's like a bloodbath happening. Yeah. Uh, here I am in court testifying for this guy who's brought his kid there and like how he's assaulting people. And uh, it was just like to this day, it was when you talk about stepping back and looking out from something, mm-hmm. I was just like, what a what a. just the whole situation was just so dark. <laughs> Depressing. Yeah. And just and I don't I don't know what happened. He probably served some time, or did, um, uh, what do you call it? Not when you go to prison, but when you're on uh, probation, probation and stuff. I don't know. I don't know what happened to it. The manager who got who got like knocked on her neck. Who I think she was fine. I don't know, but she certainly sued or threatened to sue. Toys R Us paid her, and she just fucking left. Yeah. Yeah, and she was all about the whole corporate mindset. All right, everybody. Uh, she wasn't particularly mean to me, but she was not very popular. Uh, but she was the epitome of like a corporate. I remember like a corporate, like like a tack dog, just like always be on your toes, always be working, everyone be efficient, like really like kind of a fire breather. And the second she had a chance, she just dipped. Yeah, it was uh, the whole situation. Just um, you know, I was what twenty three. Twenty-four, the time, and that whole situation. Again, that was a long story. God, I guess. I guess this isn't even a knock on Toys R Us. The franchise. I remember hearing that they actually could have been doing fine if it hadn't been for this like insider trading, cashing out like slimy upper echelon stuff. Yeah, but it was I just mean, such a trickle down. They would have got this. wiped
0: out by Amazon five years
1: later if that hadn't happened. So, doesn't matter. Yeah, maybe, but. Either way, it was still like, a. when you talk about not complaining and not being, um, you know, minus getting punched in the skull, but man, I, I came out of it physically way better than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And the end of the day, uh, it was one of those things where you put in perspective, like, so dealing with Hollywood again, like still wasn't as bad as that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, at least uh, that's the other thing. Like, you know, doing Hollywood stuff, like, it can't... It's definitely not as bad as retail. Like, retail fucking sucks. Food service fucking sucks. Like, it wasn't... And I've done those jobs, too. um, But, you know... (sighs) That's what's so tricky is like feeling like I hate this job, and there's like a a catering table with like a waffle maker and shit, you know, and like like fancy yeah. like carrot pods and stuff, and you're just like, "Hey, this is a real uh, first world kind of problem here, isn't it?" But
1: yeah, whatever. Like it's totally. still
0: it, it it is what it is, man.
1: But you were asking. And again, these are a long man. That was a lot. I haven't thought about that moment in a long time. Yeah. That was just like, what a wacky nightmarish. This is for the Christmas sale. Like to me, just dealing with this bloodbath that happened as people are like during a recession, as people are trying to shop for their kids for toys. It was just, Oh, wow. Just like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Just what a moment. And then, um, you know, I've done many, many jobs after that as well. Leaving that was pretty nice. I got to say, but, uh, I had another retail job, which you're talking about getting more chilled out and everything. I had another retail job later. Again, it was like getting hard. I was working as a courier and the jobs are like kind of hard to come by. Auditions weren't happening again. Um, You know, I'd have an agent and the agent, even a good agent would just be like, none of my clients are going out or, you know, you'd have your couple star clients and, I would feel lucky if I got an audition, you know, once once every three months. Mm-hmm. And some, of my, a lot of my actor friends I knew, they would audition. I used to think it was me, and then when I'd see some really talented actors I knew who just never never went out, I started to be like, okay, it's not just me, but maybe the system is this. Something's going on. Yeah, this is not what we were expecting. You would think like if someone's going to go at the top of their acting class or. Um, Let's just say, like, I was at, I was, I was at uh, an acting school where, you know, saving up to go, um, pretty prestigious people have been there. One person I remember thanked the head of the school in her Oscar speech. I went to that class. I got pretty high marks. Usually when you get enough teachers and people saying, like, oh, you're going on, you attain these levels, you will have an agent or you will have casting directors look at you. That's kind of how it works. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed anything. But generally, if you get good word of mouth, you can be seen. So I was kind of hoping if you do well enough with these acting classes, maybe you're entitled to auditioning for an under five line on a CSI. Mm-hmm. Just after enough years, you put it in. A lot of people I know who are a little older than me that that's like they're like, oh, get on a CSI, get on that kind of thing, get on yeah. those crime shows build up your credits. And not just me, but me and a lot of people I know, like couldn't even get you weren't getting the opportunity to audition just to be like, here you go, sir, and hand somebody something. That yeah. was like becoming really hard to get. So being a courier trying to figure out my life being like this kind of sucks, I finally found a job doing retail, uh, not too far from where I lived. And um, stayed there for four, almost four or five years and it was right then i saw the change in the first year was pretty good i'm like oh people are civil here you actually get paid not great you get paid comparatively to the past jobs i had done you get paid uh, pretty good for day to day and uh, uh the area was nice we're all just doing our thing as the years go by and the rent goes up all my fellow employees and coworkers started to get pushed out of where a lot of them lived near the store. And as the years went on, they all started to get pushed farther and farther out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only reason I was able to stay is because we had rent control at the time. So I got to live right there. And as the rent went up and the cost of everything got went up, um, the owner of the store got worse. And what started out as like a pretty cool job for the first year or two just got to be I told you i got triggered by the word toxic but it became such a toxic yeah environment that again going and being abused by even at an audition by or having a casting director not just be a jerk to you or some agent meeting where they like blow you off i'm like yeah still uh, at least i'm getting me a meeting a meeting mm-hmm. this is still better than what i'm dealing with every day and we talk about privilege You know, I had a dad who—I don't know. It's not like he's perfect, but he's a good dad. Yeah, not everyone gets that. And the owner of the store—I don't know if he did this consciously or unconsciously—he eventually would do, would manipulate a lot of people. They wanted to be managers or, um. Whatever would work for him, he, whether consciously or not, I realized was often preying on people who didn't have that. They came from not a lot.
0: Hmm.
1: He would love bomb them with stuff like, You work here, I'll give you this. Then they would work hard for him. And then suddenly they weren't stepping up and he would just, yeah, how do I say, it? treat them really terribly? Yeah. Be incredibly abusive. And they'd be like, Oh no, I need to really impress him now. Mm hmm. Um, and I just, maybe I'm a douchebag or maybe I was just spoiled, but I was just like, man, I'm not, this is not working on me. And what, what became a good relationship after two years, he despised me and spent the next several he was trying to fire me. But unfortunately, he never had a reason to. So it was this game of, and he also was wondering why I never left. Well, again, jobs were hard to come by. I had a good gig at the time. I set it up when, all, when things were all good. And... Yeah, it was just when my one friend said, oh, he's the stern dad I never had. He makes mm-hmm. me feel bad a lot, but he also like rewards me. I was like, oh, and I put it together. All the everyone who was working there, yeah. they all had the same backstory. Yeah, the same thing. I had a dad in my life. None of them did <laughs> or a good relationship, I should say. Yeah. Or they had a relationship similar to him. And I was like, damn, here I am. Maybe I just would have been like them. If I would grown up a little bit, but instead I have this guy just hating me and me being like, I don't have to take this from you, but also why are you going to fire me for?
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's how, uh, cult leaders do it. You know, like that's how they, they find the, the missing piece and they promise you that. Uh, but if you don't you have are- the missing piece, you're kind of immune, but the, thing right. is, like they can, you know, good ones can really, they can find it in kind of
1: anybody. I got fired uh so the job i was just telling you about so i maybe a year or two into it i discovered uh, my sister's landlord it was a storyboard artist pretty big one out here Mm -hmm. in los angeles and thankfully i had been had a lot of improvement to do and i would say my skills weren't as good as they had been years prior but i had kept up with my drawing and illustration And I knew production art was a thing. But you talk about you meet people, you deal with them. At the same time, all the people I had dealt with, I didn't know storyboard artist was like a viable career. And I met him, heard about it, researched it, kind of put two and two together. And uh, he helped mentor me a bit met some other guys. And uh, after several years of working, I finally started to get some gigs Mm -hmm. doing that Uh, mostly just commercials and pilots and pitches and then uh what was this four and a half maybe four and a half years into that last retail job i started finally to book enough clients where i was like i think i can leave yeah and i knew I, i had a client coming up uh the next year and i was like oh when these happen i'll definitely be able to leave so um, they kind of got. Long story short, they kind of got wind of that at the retail job, mm-hmm. and then they really—I think—he was looking for a reason to get rid of me prior to that, and then uh, it found the like the lightest reason, which would would have been totally fine uh, to fire me over a scheduling mishap, which I even worked to correct. And they're like, "Well, that shows you don't care about the job anymore." If you went, it was it was involving a storyboard gig. And then that was what they were waiting for. They were like, you got, you clearly don't take this job seriously. You're fucking fired. Right. And I was like, ah, you got me right before the uh, Christmas bonus. And you got me three months before I was going to leave anyway. Yeah. And it was just like, all right, this seems like a fitting way to go out, (laughs) pretty much. But uh, yeah, then that was several years of, you're talking about being chill. I don't know if I'm chill, but, and there's plenty of, frustrating clients for for production art and storyboarding but i had several years of then just being able to fortunately do that mm-hmm. and comparatively not having to go into these fucking jobs it was just like oh you know it's it's fine some yeah. directors down your throat comparatively at least i'm making better money and i usually can work from home or go on a set mm-hmm. uh Then ended up losing those clients and wasn't sure what I was going to do. I still had some, but um, I was like, okay, they're not going to be back. And they say they may not need me now for six months. What do I do? Uh, I was trying to figure that out. And then the pandemic hit. Hmm. So, again, it was back to like, okay, this seems sort of familiar. Um. And still had clients during that time. But uh, it was a few decent years. And now, uh, never really, now that the pandemic's officially over, it's still, business wasn't as good for me as it was for those few years prior. Yeah. It kind of got back. But um, yeah, it's just been doing that. And now it's stopped again, obviously. And frankly, I don't don't know. As much as I enjoy being a storyboard artist, uh, and as much as I enjoy acting, uh, uh, I just don't know talk about being chill um it's an existential thing to not know where your whole industry is going to be yeah in a few years because of quote art and that's not just with this industry but other people are going to feel it too but i guess they call it artificial intelligence but whatever it actually is whether yeah. it's just copying things well, it's still gonna impact.
0: Yeah, it's a misnomer. AI is a misnomer. It's not actually an intelligence. It's not actually a consciousness. It's just, it's a computer program that can replicate a thing that, you know, you ask for. That's it. Um, Yeah, yeah. I think you're doing the right thing, though, like having a a more diverse skill set, like that is definitely a handy thing to do, especially if you have a life in the arts, you know, like, knowing how, like, You can do acting, you can do, uh, storyboarding, you know, if if, like the more and more little things that you have, um, the less likely that, you know, the rug will be pulled out from you or, you know, uh, uh, you know, to, to mix metaphors, you know, like all of your eggs are in one basket, you know, um, which is a thing that like, I've definitely tried to do too. Like i I'm, this week, I'm I'm walking dogs. I'm doing art handling. I'm doing coding. I'm doing like a bunch of different things because I'm not totally sure which thing will actually uh, pay out or will actually be like a That's sustainable. It, bro. You only got three different for jobs. Me. Yeah, just three. Yeah, know? yeah. Only uh, three. Okay, just three. And and one of them is you know it's freelance, so I'm actually it's three different clients, so it's three in three three in one, and then the other two
1: and so, i'm only half joking by the yeah. <laughs> way
0: it's so normal now to have like, i know right
1: that job
0: yeah anymore. yeah it's a lot it's it's crazy um there's this anxiety i think that a lot of people have in the arts especially when they like start making money uh doing the thing that eventually the work will dry up and they'll have to go back to their old job with their hat in their hands, you know? And like, for you, I mean, like, you know, you got fired from that place. That's probably not, uh, going to happen at least there. But like, that is always a anxiety that, that
1: I have. Did you ever have, well, again, thanks for saying. Oh, I got a diverse skill set because I'll tell you, man, I I don't think it's because I was that smart. It's more just because I was like lucky to have kind of done this stuff early and then just desperate. Hmm. Uh, hey, whatever gets you there. Yeah. Whatever yeah.
0: gets you there. If it's if it's just scrambling desperation, or if it's or if it's just a sincere interest in a bunch of different trades, then well, you know, whatever. Like what, like I I didn't I never really uh wanted to learn how to like woodwork and and build a crate and drive a box truck i just learned because i was like oh this is a thing that'll pay rent because i got fired from that from the prop shop so i got another job this week because i got to pay rent uh and i don't want i don't want to have to move out you know
1: um that was it yeah well i still you talk about that anxiety Man, I, uh God, I haven't worked in, I want to say three months, wow. maybe a little, bit, two and a half months, and that's pretty good for a lot of people I know, and that was only just because we were, like, I was, like, wrapping up non-union stuff, mm-hmm. pitches and whatnot, uh, but now I'm like, all right, I, I don't know how long this is going to go for. I think there's a future in in human-made art, and entertainment but i just i don't know even with the the even with the strikes and even with the concerted efforts to preserve the industry in some form i just don't know like maybe it'll get better in 10 years but who knows what's going to happen in five
0: yeah Uh, i think there is going to be a bit of a um reshuffle um and i think they're you know the the night might get darker before the dawn um for for a lot of people in in this industry unfortunately you know i i I don't know like because every few years like this is what happens like there's a big shake up you know uh an industry shifts like the internet is invented and then you know the the music industry uh starts shitting its pants because people are uh downloading music and then streaming happens and the same thing happens to the film industry and like all these different things take over and now like ai like i don't know i i go i vacillate between being really nervous about ai uh taking work from people and then also thinking like it's been a thing for close like you know like mid-journey and all of that stuff like has been you know publicly out there for like about a year now. Um, yeah. And I feel like people are already kind of tired of it. Like again, like what we were talking about at like the beginning of this, like there has to be a new thing every few months in order to keep people's attention on it. Otherwise it just sort of fades into the background and it just sort of, yeah. Like I think people are already tired. Like I anyway, am already tired of looking at AI art. I can always tell. Um, yeah, maybe it'll improve to where like I genuinely can't. But like, I, I think no matter how good it gets with like deep fakes and and all of that stuff, I take some comfort in knowing that as the technology to make that stuff. Uh, improves the technology to detect it and be able to tell people like that's not real. Um, Yeah. Will also improve right along with it like concurrently. Um, I still also think that probably within the next five years something really fucked up will happen as a result of ai like an an assassination or like some sort like a coup like something like really fucking crazy will happen because you know um, enough people believe that there's this video of the president doing this or that or whatever like that will really like uh like something really fucked up will happen like just just period because like fucked up things are already happening with the internet as we have it and the dissemination of information as we have it like with like january 6th and just like people getting their information from all these like wild fucking sources so like some fucked up things gonna it's gonna happen like as, as a result of ai i just don't know
1: what it's gonna be well and then imagine it happens people believe it and then it turns out to not be real Yeah. then no one's going to believe anything well
0: that's yeah that's the (laughs) that's the real after effect is like I mean that might be the fucked up thing that happens right is people slowly realize people in power slowly realize that they can kind of do whatever they want now and just tell people that that's it's not real it's an AI image it's deep fake it's they generated my voice saying that it didn't really happen
1: I only have one just my quick comfort with that a little bit because there is a part of me, and first of all, I already think like the CIA and a lot of stuff can already manipulate imagery and blackmail you. They've been doing it for decades, right? Yeah. And they used to be that, well, not me per se, but just someone, oh, you. what if they can do all this stuff with imagery and they probably have already and they can blackmail you and do fakes, right? But then if that kind of stuff gets really out there, then everyone will just think, as we said before, then they you can get away with anything. Yeah, then because nothing's you're real. Like, yeah, oh, here's a scandalous fi- picture of you, Brad, and it, it could be, but you're like, hey, that's not me. They no. just they just made that up. Yeah, prove it. And it could be real as anything. But yeah. that's that's it's fucked up. But it's kind of a comfort because they're like, okay, there's only a level to that level of blackmail if it goes this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, not not overall comforting, but if no one believes anything, then.
0: Nothing it's you can do crazy. about it anyway that's that's the other like it's yeah. fucking inevitable, like what are you gonna do? what are you gonna yeah. do you, you, you're gonna go find the guy who made mid Journey and and shoot him like like Sarah Connor or something like it's not gonna happen like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter there's no stopping it it's inevitable
1: yeah and that's oh again, as you said though that's the one thing I'm like, look, I'm scared for the future, but there's a part of me that I'm like. Everyone wants to see the future, but I'm like, can we just fast forward to ten years so I can see, like, if it's bad, can we just see the bad rather than like or or the good? The recovery yeah. If you point skip forward ten rather, years
0: and there yeah. and there's just like a crater where LA used to be, and then you're like, oh, okay, not good. Um, yeah. But you know, other than that, I think maybe we'll be fine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Then we'll be fine. And as you were saying, I was saying, like, you know, I, I made it sound cool after all these years of struggling. I'm like, yeah, I was just a storyboard artist who went on, on auditions and such. And it was pretty cool living the L.A. life. But, like, that was only a few years. Here we are during the strikes. And I'm like, all right, guess I'll, you know, I was talking, you know, I was like, all right, what's coding all about? Mm-hmm. How long is this going to go on for? And even when the strikes are over, I don't even know. I don't know how long things are going to take to recover, what the adjustment is going to be, um, how much am I going to lose. Like, I ain't going to get jobs over some of the guys who are, like, my mentors yeah. or people just higher up. Like, there's definitely people better than me and more experienced and just more established. I mean, and there's like, another, probably- like...
0: The utopian way of looking at it and like the really positive optimistic way of looking at it is like AI doesn't replace common workers in entertainment. It replaces the fucking useless people upstairs. It replaces like Bob Iger, you know? It replaces these just fucking arbitrary decision makers who don't really do anything. Is yeah, fine. Fuck it. Put a put an algorithm in charge of Netflix. Who cares? It already kind of is you know and like right. then you don't have to pay it then all the money can go to the people who actually make the fucking content
1: i don't know yeah that's the hope how about but that i'm still looking yeah but i was like i'm looking at now i'm like oh what's coding all about will that be replaced or because I, I know you went through that school
0: so i like wow. i get like that was the thing that kind of made me yeah. nervous like because i like all of that's like chat gpt kind of came out while i was like in the boot camp, and I was like, "Oh fuck, man!" Like this, thinking like yeah. just straight up write code that I'm learning to write. Um, but so far, it's been okay. Like what I've like, I still I use it like, and I use it as a tool. I use it as like Google on steroids. It was like, how would I solve this? And then it kind of tells you, and then you're like, okay, cool, thank you. Uh, but mm-hmm. you still have to know how to ask it that question. And you still have to, know, like, it doesn't know what your website is, what you're trying to build, what your application is. It doesn't know why you want to do what you want to do, you know, like, so there still have to be, like, human minds behind it, at least for now. Um, and, like, there still has to be, like, human decision making. You still have to be able to, like, communicate to your team in a human way. Like, I don't. I don't know. Knock on wood. I don't think that that's going anywhere. But also if you learn to code, then like you're first in line to maybe like just train AI and just like, then you will write the software that just replaces everybody. And you'll, you'll probably make pretty good living doing that. So I don't know. You can also just, if you can't beat them, join them, man. Just, just sign up with the machines,
1: become one. Fuck it. Ugh, it's, yeah. Which itself is still yeah. fucked. <laughs> way to think, but it makes sense. It's just like, yeah, we will so we'll talk about like oh, sell out humanity capitalism. and just become a machine myself. Yeah. Seriously, I well, I mean, it's that, or you know, I was thinking, I was thinking about that and thinking to go in that way too. When I was also like, I have a friend who's a uh, she, actor and caterer, and I was like, How's catering going? And she goes, Oh, it's been going great, like, it hasn't been affected by the um. By the strikes, because I guess there's still tons of events and everything yeah, I like know that. I mean, I saw party yeah. down, yeah, and I was like, oh cool, and now I'm thinking about it, and it's like three months later, and I'm like, all right, I haven't done a job like that in years, but I'm like, shit, I'm just sitting here right now, picketing, writing, yeah, been at I'm like I- it's no, no shame in making money again and not just living off your savings.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, that's again, like why I'm, you know, I, I have my like teamsters thing. I'm doing the, I'm doing art handling, uh, because that is very unlikely to be replaced by machines anytime soon. Like, cause you need like a human sure. body to do that kind of stuff. Uh, there's really only so much you can automate. Like it, like maybe, 10, 15 years from now, people are operating drones that drive trucks, you know, like, but I, I don't think you can take the human aspect out of that either. So yeah. blue collar work, you know, just maybe become an electrician, like, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, trades like uh, uh, carpentry and and um, and masonry and and uh, electrical work like, you know, that I don't think can really be. Automated away for the most part. I don't know. Who's to say? Not until they really start making, like, you know, terrifying androids that also have, like, the AI mind in them. Then we're fucked. Then it's over. Then we got, like, Terminators running around and, like, it's over.
1: We got Terminator, and then you know what we got to do? We got to go Dune. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no machines at all. We got to make humans to be the machines. And yeah, that's the only way out. That's going to be, I mean, that's whack in its own way too, but hey, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's where, uh, I guess that's where I am. I don't know. Was this, uh, are we talking kind of like how you were aiming for? I think so. I think this went really
0: well. Um, yeah, we should probably wrap up though. So, um, let's, uh, do you have anything you want to plug Jack?
1: Well, let's see. Some of the projects I've worked on as a storyboard artist are now not, well, they're on hold. Mm-hmm. We wrapped. Uh, I mean, I can't even say, I don't even know that the real, real names of them, right. honestly, or if they'll get made. So, I don't know. Some shit coming out, hopefully, in the next few years <laughs> <laughs> uh, while I sit here. Um, I am writing and partially drawing. I'm writing a We're talking about ai but i'm writing a comic which i've been working on for a couple years now the idea uh it's not out soon but i'll be pitching it and then when it's out i'll let you know right uh but it's a i'm saying it's like a post post-revolutionary war period which is not a very people know it's not the most common hollywood style period Mm -hmm. but it's like post-revolutionary war period game of thrones okay a little bit of magical realism um, I wanted to try to see how much sci-fi and fantasy I could do in real in a way that like maybe it seems unbelievable that it could have happened and still like in our actual world. Mm-hmm. And see like um events, yeah, events that 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 could have happened that seem fantastical but happen in our world. And uh yeah, it's like a fantasy in Revolutionary War America. Game okay. of Thrones, and I call it right, right now it's called Dagda. Which is the Irish word for um, pre-Christian word for the the good god? Hmm. It's a very ephemeral, very uh, ever-changing definition. Like many beings of mythology and religion, his definition and his uh, portrayals have changed over generations. Um, and I wanted to use it. Uh, I wanted to also do a comic and a story where people are using. You know, I I got an interest, I'm part Irish, and I got an interest in the Irish language, which I learned how, well, hundreds of years, everything that's happened, the English have done to the Irish, um, like the Spanish did to Mexico. But I got interested in the Irish language, and I wanted to do a story where people, not just Irish people, but uh, natives, different kinds of natives in America, different people from Europe, different people from Africa, are using terminology and parts of their actual languages just to key, create awareness obviously english is going to be the comic right but I, I i'm i got a little i didn't want something where everyone just speaks english right with an accent all the time um have you I, read I partially-
0: um, years of rice and salt like, Yeah. Uh, um what's his name uh fuck can't think of his name uh ken, 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 Uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Um, it's like, a uh, alternate history, like historical fiction book that takes place over like hundreds of years. These like characters, like get kind of like reincarnated, sort of like cloud Atlas. Like they just keep like living lives. Mm -hmm. Um, but what happens early on is so the black plague in Europe, instead of killing, uh, like a third of the population, it kills everybody. So there's no more Europeans <laughs> okay. and then mm-hmm. history just resumed from there with with every other culture on the planet, like advancing in different ways without European influence. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's
1: pretty interesting. Oh, well, yeah, it Does sound interesting. Um, oh, but yeah, that that's what I'm working on. It's a revolutionary war. It kind of started out a modern tale about the military industrial complex, right? also fantastical stuff, black programs, men in black, all that. The more I started to research the real thing, the more I wanted to be like, oh my God, I I can't in good conscience. It's not that I'll ever know everything. It was more like as good as Hollywood and other storytelling venues have been to make us aware of things. It's also created, I feel like an atmosphere where we dismiss it Mm -hmm. as fantasy. Yeah. And that kind of overwhelmed me. Would be like I can't, I can't just do a comic about, about secret black programs and all of that, and people doing psychic stuff. When you study history and you realize there's more to, there's more to learn, yeah. and that then I found myself like, all right, let me just go back and do like something in revolutionary war. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's interesting what you were talking about. It is something I know it's ambitious. I do want to tie it into multiple, and hopefully the modern era. And uh that's just what I'm working on right now, picketing and doing all that. So yeah, Dagda. I'm gonna be pitching it pretty soon within the year. Did some art for it already. Um
0: Well yeah. everybody stay tuned for uh Dagda by Jack Fitzmorris, yeah. which I guess Fitzmorris is yeah. a Irish name somehow. <laughs> it is.
1: Yeah. Um it is. That's it, man. Life is uh life is good. It's kind of in limbo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everything seems like a little bit of a dream at least to me <laughs> yeah. all I'm right, sure well, you can identify with that yes
0: somewhere. yeah I, I often experience unreality okay thank you once again to Jack Fitzmorris for being on the show and uh, thank you all for listening and uh, you know to check out check out that work whenever that comic book drops I, I, I want to read that shit I haven't read a comic in a while actually I used to be all about it I used to think that I wanted to be a cartoonist I put some time into that I made a couple of little self published books that is yet another artistic ambition of mine that fell by the wayside and I failed at so there's that gosh seems like my brain keeps steering me to things that are making me mad and sad that's weird well I hope you had a nice time listening to that episode and I hope you're well hope you're uh, maintaining and uh, I don't know uh, avoiding COVID and avoiding bullets and avoiding uh, wildfire smog Uh, you know just a lot of things to dodge out there now stay frosty Uh, support the show patreon.com slash self-worst get some bonus content and shit little as a dollar a month you won't even notice you know how many subscriptions I have that I don't even fucking think about I'm bad with money I think I still got like an Adobe subscription I need to cancel I probably got a streaming service in there that I don't even use anymore yeah it's just one of those things who gives a shit it's like the difference between having $400 and 500 in my bank account at the end of every month. Uh, so, you know, kick some money. That'd be great. Follow me, Bradical Pearson, Instagram, Twitter. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter. Um, and Blue Sky, for what it's worth. <sighs> I wish any of the uh, Twitter alternatives were going to take off, but it really doesn't seem like they're going to. Really doesn't seem like thread is going anywhere. It doesn't seem like Blue Sky is going anywhere. And just uh, seems like maybe the whole thing should just end. But anyway, until then, I'm on those apps. Sure. Follow the show at self for updates about the show and shit. Um that's all. Music is by Shea Bartel. Thank you, Shea Bartel. And uh that's all uh, in until next week. Um I'll, uh, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go light down.